From 90.3 FM KRNU, this is Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. For more than 30 years, this man has been a part of the soccer scene in America as a player, as a national team player, as a, a player in Europe, and then in Major League Soccer, and now for the last dozen years or so, has been a broadcaster both at uh, that little Disney operation and uh, now at Fox Sports. Lexi Lawless, thanks so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Hey, buddy. Hey, Professor. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's great to talk to you, as always. I always look forward to our uh, our chats, and, you know, the, the world keeps spinning, and the soccer world keeps spinning, so there's all sorts of stuff going on. We You know, we come to you here in... Yeah, October, beginning of October here, and in, in a few short weeks, I'll be jumping on a plane and heading on over to uh, Qatar for another World Cup. And that is awesome, and at least you get to go to the World Cup, and yep. you don't have to do these uh, remotely, and you don't have to figure out the time zone differences and all that stuff. You can just go talk some soccer. That's great. Can't wait. I can't wait. We're bringing a big old crew from Fox, so it's going to be fun, and uh, as you know, a a very unique type of World Cup, both in when it's happening and where it's happening. Yeah, I want to talk a, a little bit about that, uh, but let's talk a little bit about the news of the week first. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. Uh, national team hired a law firm to check into some allegations about um, uh, about abuse in, in women's soccer, and this report was explosive, and it's certainly something you all have to talk about and have to deal with. Give us a little bit of an idea of what is the aftermath of that. Yeah, so the Yates report came out this week, and um, you know it's 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 not good. Obviously, as a matter of fact, it's horrible and it's sad and depressing and angering uh, and maddening in terms of what you read about and the detail and the stories of uh, you know these courageous women that have come forward to tell these stories. And you know, while the focus was on NWSL. Uh, the report actually talked about problems that are systemic, and so there is obviously the 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 um, the focus to fix NWSL and do it quickly. And they actually have a bunch of um, considerations and suggestions as to what to do. But there is a bigger conversation and probably a you know a bigger project that has to happen in terms of if it is systemic when it comes to you know, how are young athletes, in this case, we're talking about a lot of young female athletes are treated, uh, how are professional athletes are treated. And we know it's not just involved when it comes to soccer. But, you know, this is this is soccer news. As soccer people, this is all of our responsibility to fix. It has happened on all of our watches, whether we're directly involved or not. And uh, it's up to us to make sure that for the players that we have now, and also for the players that we have in, in the future, that the circumstances and the situations that they are going into, whether they're just starting out in the game or whether they're professionals and living out a dream professionally, um, that it is that it is supportive, that it is healthy, and that it is ultimately safe. And this, you know, this Yates report just spells it out in in great detail. It's about 170 pages. I took some time and read the entire thing. And you should actually, if you do have the time, read it because it goes into great detail, like I said. Um, and things need to change. It cannot continue on like this for NWSL or for soccer in general. So some some coaches are fired and some other yep. folks in, in, in clubs are fired. And you talked about angering and there were comments from players like we we complained about it but nothing happened and mm-hmm. we uh we just knew that nothing was going to happen. It's it's sad to think that the system was um, I don't know betraying is the right word, but 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 and somehow these young ladies were being betrayed by by the system and coaches were getting jobs and then get another job and and the last job they left they get fired for because of indiscretions and then they get another job and it doesn't catch up with them until sure, now. Sure. And I think that's I think that's part of the problem is when you see this that you know when a problem because you're going to have problems no, no matter what you do in any type of business or enterprise out there, you're going to have problems. It's how you deal with them that really is the most important thing. And so in these situations, you know, when a problem is identified and validated, then obviously, if there is punishment involved, that type of knowledge has to be passed on so that one problem doesn't become another problem down the line. And when you read this, you realize very quickly that that unfortunately is what happened. And look, you know, we've been around soccer for a long time. And these you know, leagues that come up, you know, they're they're fledgling and they're just starting out and they don't have all of the resources, but that's still no excuse. Ultimately, 
you know, the protection and the security and the safety of those players has to be for uh, in, you know, in the forefront and has to be a priority going forward. And you have to have, you know, the, the mechanisms in place to make sure that, like I said, you're able to identify it, you're able to uh, validate it, and you're able to deal with it so that you cut it off and you don't let it continue on. And unfortunately, we saw that time and time again. And so, you know, for example, this week, when we're doing the United States versus England, which is a celebration, it's a celebration of not just what, what the U.S. women's national team is, but also what's happening in women's soccer around the world, a sold out Wembley. It's with the backdrop of this coming. And I, I guarantee when you watch that game that, you know, whether it's individuals or collectively, it will be reflected in what they do. And let's be honest, this U.S. women's national team has a, a long history of standing up for themselves, of standing up for others. And this is probably just another moment when they are going to be called upon. And I, I would I would imagine stand up yet again and make sure that this story is you know, at the forefront, and more importantly, that there is action. It's not just about telling the story. It's also that there is action to make it better. And that's what these young and old women, uh, uh, whether they're on the field or off the field for consistent decades now, have been doing and using that platform so well. So as we record this, it's before the game has been played. You guys are preparing for the broadcast. How are you going to uh, tackle this? How are you going to come out on the air and and, and deal with this? So, you know, when we are broadcasting uh, sporting events at Fox, it is very, very clear to us, and we all uh, accept the fact that we are providing an outlet, we are providing an escape. Um, and it doesn't mean that we stick our heads in the sand. It doesn't mean that we uh, are willfully ignorant about all sorts of things that are happening. But there's also so much that we can talk about. And ultimately, there is a soccer game. Is is what we're talking about here much more important than any soccer game? Yes, but ultimately we are there to broadcast a soccer game. So, you know, I would imagine that we will we'll come on air and we'll obviously address it because it is so much a part of the conversation this week. And everything that happens in soccer to a certain extent is informed by that. And we'll make sure that we give it its due, but we'll also recognize that people are turning in to see the number one team in the world, the World Cup defending champions that are, you know, hopefully next summer going to go for three in a row, something that's never been done, and celebrate these incredible athletes within a very short period of time. As you know, you know, my job is to make sure that that I, whatever time I am allotted, and oftentimes it's very, very little, to make sure that I'm saying something hopefully interesting and entertaining, uh, but you have to be able to edit yourself beforehand, and you have to even be able to edit yourself in the moment. So we can't we can't cover everything, so we kind of have to prioritize. Lexi, you you were part of MLS uh, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You uh, played professional soccer in Europe. MLS started in 1996. It's more than a, a quarter of a century old now. And the World Cup is held in the U.S. and Mexico and Canada. It'll be the 30th anniversary of, of Major League Soccer. Yeah, I mean, the world has changed and certainly the soccer world has changed a, a, a whole lot. Um, you have the distinction or honor of actually introducing me from a broadcasting perspective uh, in terms of the, the, the time that we spent many, many years ago. And, you know, I got such a, uh, a wonderful introduction and a, a wonderfully positive and healthy introduction and a crash course, let's be honest, in what broadcasting is. And I've been, a, I've been now doing it longer than I was actually probably playing professional soccer. And I love it. I'm so fortunate that uh, whether it was the early days uh, or certainly now being around that I get the opportunity to do this and this privilege and this, and let's be honest, this, this responsibility. Uh, the, the soccer on the field has certainly changed. You know, back then we were doing it in Spartan Stadium in San Jose, and now there's beautiful new stadiums all over the place. And obviously the uh, the league from an MLS perspective has grown with all sorts of expansion teams and some really, really interesting ownership and sponsorship and all of that kind of stuff that we we dreamt about when it first started in 1996. But, you know, there, there's a there's a long history of failed leagues, both men's and women's. And so we didn't know whether it was going to last. And so that we are at a quarter of a century going going into 30 years. Uh, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to have been a part of it from the start, because there's not a lot of times you get to say that you were there from the beginning of something. Yeah. You know, you look up stories uh, and surveys and about uh, Major League Soccer and the emergence of soccer, the the growth of soccer in the U.S. And the little devil on the uh, on one side says 
soccer is still trailing the big four sports mm. and the little angel on the other shoulder says soccer is catching up to the other four sports and is more popular than ever. Are those things uh, uh, both true? And is it a hopeful uh, time? Yeah. I mean, you know, being one of the uh, old guys now, when it comes to this sport and, and even this industry, um, you get some perspective. And while we love to kick ourselves for what we aren't, we also have to, at some point, pat ourselves on the back for how far we have come in a relatively short period of time. And, you know, as Americans, we want it all now and want it fast. That's what I think makes us great and makes us competitive. To your point, unlike any other sport or league, let's be honest, soccer is always uh, going to be compared and contrasted with the rest of the world. And also, let's be honest, they have a hell of a head start <laughs> relative to the uh, relative to the United States. Having said that, uh, I remain incredibly proud of how far we have come in a relatively short period of time. And I believe that the future is incredibly bright. There are people all over the world that look to the U.S. market in terms of how it is growing. Uh, the business fascinates me about what it is and how unique it is. We always say, you know, for example, for NWSL or USL or MLS, you know, for MLS, the problem with MLS isn't that there aren't soccer fans in the United States. There's a lot of soccer fans. There's just not enough MLS fans. And we are so tribal and we are so separated out there that it always fascinates me how you go about marketing soccer in the U.S. And while it, when we, you know, when we were growing up, it was very Wild West and it's become a little bit more structured. There's still a Wild West element of everything that's going on, given the internal and domestic competition we have with all these other leagues that have been around for a lot longer. And we're fighting on two fronts, the compare and contrast from around the world, where you have great leagues and great teams and the perception or trying to change the perception and gain that credibility. It's a struggle. It's a, it's, it's a labor of love. Um, it is pushing that proverbial boulder up the hill. It's gotten easier. It's not easy, but it's gotten easier over the years, but you can't stop now. Yeah, Lexi Lalas has been in the soccer business for more than 30 years as a player, as an executive, as a broadcaster, and part of the team that will bring the World Cup to the U.S. on Fox Sports in uh, in November. And we'll talk about a November World Cup coming up here in a couple of minutes. But a couple of things you said intrigued me here uh, that that I know, and 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 the listeners probably intuitively know this that. You have young people who like soccer. Uh, they're watching Arsenal or they're watching PSG or they're watching maybe somebody in another league in Europe. They're sort of an MLS fan and they might have picked out a team or they're regional, but they will get up at six o'clock on Saturday morning to watch soccer. And probably the only time of the week they'll actually get up at six o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah. and, and do anything. Right. How do you balance that? And and maybe this is a two part question. Is it the same story in Argentina and even in Brazil and in other places where they're not the big five leagues in Europe? Yeah, I mean, the difference between those types of cultures is they are still soccer-centric, right? Even, even though they may look to Europe and they certainly may watch Europe and Champions League and all that kind of stuff, they're still a soccer-centric uh, culture. An interesting thing for me is that as time has gone on, you know, we, we've We've talked about the kind of dinosaurs dying out. And when it comes to media, for example, you know as well as I do that there was a whole generation that not only um, didn't want to talk about soccer, but completely dismissed it. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain and for as long as possible uh, every nuance of the game. I'll tell you what a throw-in is or offside. That, I have no problem when people meet me halfway and actually want to learn. Those are the, those are the best. What I do have a problem with is people that feel it is beneath them to cover. Now, that generation has started to, to die out, let's be honest. But we have a whole other generation that's, you know, the snobbery that exists in terms of the way that they view the domestic soccer versus uh, soccer that's played over, over there, let's say. And most of this is, is directed towards, uh, towards Europe. That is starting to dissipate. And I think what I'm seeing is a generation that is starting to grow up where their palette of soccer doesn't include a domestic affiliation. And they, you know, they have their MLS team or their NWSL team. And rather than constantly comparing, contrasting or poo-pooing it, they just add it to that palette. And it's just part of what they do. And while they might get up on a Saturday morning and watch their Arsenal team, then they might go, you know, that night to, to cheer and drink beer and watch their San Jose earthquakes or something like that. So it's all, and, and then, you know, that next night they may go, 
you know, and watch an NWSL game or a USL game. And so it's all kind of part of soccer and really tapping into that ownership. And I guess it comes down to pride. And the more and more people that that can certainly have their affiliations overseas, but can see that this is our thing. All right. It's and it's it's not perfect, uh, but warts and all it's la cosa nostra. It is our thing. And taking real pride and ownership and embracing that. And I'm seeing more and more, not just older people, but younger people that do that. And I, if you can tap into that, I think that's where the sweet spot is for MLS or any league for that matter. In the latest Forbes valuations, both of the clubs in Los Angeles are worth in the neighborhood of $900 million. That, those are stunning numbers to me, even understanding how much <laughs> MLS has, has really uh, ramped up its game in the last decade, especially. But those numbers are stunning to me. Yeah, yeah. And and to your point, we we do attach numbers, and we, not just in the U.S., but I mean, we attach numbers to athletes and stuff. And we, you know, we as a correlation for value. And let's be honest, sometimes even as a correlation for quality. And it's not always the case, perception, reality, I understand that. But when it comes to some of the valuations, it's really interesting because I think it reflects the not just the optimism, but the opportunity relative to the American market. And we have barely even scratched the surface when it comes to the soccer fans that exist, but also the soccer fans that are either going to now be born into soccer families. I mean, we have now multiple generations that have kind of grown up where mom and dad both played at a, at a high level. They might have played at college, but they certainly played growing up and they don't look at it as anything different. We have the advantage, you know, when that, when that possibility of, hey, do you want your kid playing football uh, or as opposed to soccer and all of that, or, or the opportunities for scholarships, all those, all those different things. But I think the valuations, like I said, are, are reflective of what can happen in the future. And I think they're already starting to calculate how important and how valuable these assets could be going forward. If, and when, you know, that, that market is brought together and, you know, on in scale and, you know, the, the coordination that, for example, MLS has with Liga MX, well, we know Liga MX is the most popular league in the United States. And so finding a way to, you know, work together and figure that out, there is, there is that potential. I think that's what's reflected in those, uh, those numbers. Yeah. Just like a veteran broadcaster, you segue to, for me perfectly into my next thought. And that is the relationship, the adversarial and friendly relationship between the United States and Mexico when it comes to soccer. Um, certainly there are business opportunities there. The national teams couldn't be bigger <laughs> rivals. Um, I think that uh, I don't know that everybody in America or the world appreciates the incredible rivalry between the U S and Mexico in, in men's soccer, yep. um, not so much in women's soccer, but in men's soccer. Um, and there's a growing number of people in this country, second generation um, Mexican-Americans who believe that both Mexico and the U.S. are teams that they should follow. They're interested in teams in Mexico, but here. Can you give us an idea of where this is now, where we reconciled this relationship now between USA and Mexico, business, and then also fandom? Yeah, so I think it's the greatest rivalry in international soccer, uh, and certainly in men's, uh, obviously from the men's side. And as you mentioned, it's a little different from the women's side. Um, you know, and you can disagree or fight, fight me when it comes to that. The interesting thing is how Mexico and obviously Liga MX views, uh, and, and the Mexican national team views the United States. I don't think they view it any, well, I do, I don't think they view it any differently, except they view it as, I mean, for example, the send-off games for Mexico, the last two games before Qatar, were both in the United States. Uh, you know, they sold out the Rose Bowl and Levi Stadium, and that's nothing new. They, Mexico and Mexican teams, for that matter, have used the United States as kind of an ATM, as other teams from around the world have too. But it just shows you how much a part they, uh, they are of the culture and how popular they are in the United States. And that shouldn't be any surprise given, you know, the incredible Mexican-American market that, that exists here and just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I love it I, because I see potential. I see possible ways to use that to make the entire enterprise that much bigger going forward. And, and is it even beyond Mexico, uh, yeah. a growing number of other Central American teams? Uh, I'm sorry, players are in the U.S. A yeah. growing number of South American players are in Major League Soccer. And in turn, has that changed the style of MLS? So the interesting thing with MLS is kind of 
were the the architects of our own demise to a certain, <laughs> to a certain extent in that MLS has provided opportunities for a lot of players that have then gone back to their national teams and made those national teams better. And MLS now for many years has been populated by not just CONCACAF in, in within our region, which is the region that the United States plays in, but South American. Now it is, it, it's a pipeline for a lot of South American talent uh, going forward. And then, you know, from a, but from a broadcast perspective, you know, somebody asked me the other day about how we're going to broadcast the World Cup and the fact that the U.S. men's national team is back in the World Cup. That's great. But one of the things that makes our country the greatest in the world, I believe, is our incredible diversity. And that means that we have a diversity of fandom out there. And it's no surprise at every World Cup that the country that buys the most tickets is right up there, the United States, because there's so many different teams that people are following. So from a Fox perspective, we have a responsibility, not just to show the U.S. men's national team, but Mexico, obviously. And there's kind of that hierarchy going on there. But we have so many people that will be turning, tuning in for all of these all of these different teams. And it's really, it's really an interesting and a very unique relative to the rest of the world situation that exists in the United States. And if you if you're smart and you're strategic about it, you can use it to your advantage, both both on the field and uh, and off the field. And whether you're the head coach, Greg Berhalter of the U.S. men's national team or or Tata Martino out there, there's gold in them there hills in terms of talent to develop. And obviously, I guess, real gold when it comes to the money and the business involved of selling tickets and broadcast rights and just, you know, being a part of the culture. I believe this is true that that more tickets were sold to to Americans for the last World Cup. Is that yeah. correct? Is yeah. that the case for Qatar as well? Yeah, I mean, other than actually Qatar itself, right. I think. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's always amazing. And you know, this one's a unique one. Like I said, for a lot of people have never never been to that neck of the woods and never been to Qatar, so that's going to be fun. But you know, like I said, and this is you know a reason why so many people want to come to the United States from a soccer perspective. It goes back to the valuation. You know, we saw many years ago that migration that happened from Serie A in Italy, which was the pinnacle of club soccer and the best league in the world, to the EPL in England. Now, they didn't go there for the food. They didn't go there for the weather. OK, uh, but in doing so, they made this incredible, uh, you know, monster of a league over there. That same type of and, and look, it, it happened, you know, with the opening of European community, a lot of different things happened. But that same type of migration can happen to the U.S. And I think that there's a much greater desire for not just players, but for eyeballs to migrate to someplace like the United States. And that's the advantage that the United States has. And with all of those different you know, nationalities that we have as a melting pot with all different affiliations, but ultimately the thread that binds us all together is the game of soccer. And as I said before, it's just so kind of tribal right now. If if you could find a way to bring that all together, you would have the greatest and biggest and most powerful league or soccer entity in the world. Yeah, this is not a political program at all, but we certainly live in times where that diversity is what uh, some are trying to use as a, 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 a division, uh, trying to divide us uh, through that diversity. So I find it a little bit ironic that in this evolution of, a, of American sport, that it's that diversity that is making soccer so strong at a time when some would like this to be sort of divided in other parts of our society. It is. But but what also has been interesting to see is, you know, for example, you know, the, the fandom relative to the U.S. men's national team or just the U.S. team in general. Right. Because we have all of these different nationalities and, you know, you, you can you can be as American as anybody and have an American passport, but you can still have the love for maybe a country that you came from or maybe a country that your family came from and you have a great attraction to. But what's been interesting and and I guess wonderful from a U.S. national team perspective is to see now future generations that while they have their affiliation from a uh, in their heritage and in their lineage, they also look at this team as their team, much more so than maybe previous generations did and are attaching themselves. And it has something, something to do even with the kicking of the ball. It's America. It is your country, and it is a representation of your country. And I think that continues to grow and grow and grow. And that's you know that's wonderful because 
you know, that power that we're talking about here and that diversity makes us special and makes us different. And I do think makes us um, incredible in what we do, but the ability to unite. And that's something that in, in this day and age and in this era right now, there's very few things that do that. And a World Cup or a national team or coming together through all of the different ways that we think about life and politics and culture and all that kind of stuff, being able to cheer on your club or your country in this case, that's that's the great uniter. And so that's that's what I'm looking forward to see, whether it's this World Cup, whether it's next World Cup in, in the Women's World Cup or anything going forward. And obviously we have 2026 looming too. As we record this conversation, the U.S. team has been struggling a little bit in its yeah. lead up to the uh, to the World Cup. Uh, a little bit of criticism, or maybe even a lot of criticism, of the coach. Uh, are you concerned that the team is not in its best form uh, and will be in another six or seven weeks? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see this team flying into the World Cup. And you know, for those that, that don't know, the U.S. men's national team did not make the World Cup last time uh, four years ago, so they are back after eight years. And it was, in my estimation, the biggest failure. But the only silver lining, I guess, would be is that it did force us to go one step back and maybe to go two steps forward. This is this will be the youngest team ever at a World Cup. As you mentioned, this last window of games, their last exhibitions did not go well. Having said that, uh, I have seen this team that has had swagger and grit and spirit and character uh, through this cycle. And I do believe that they will be able to access that. And maybe this was you know, that that punch on the nose that everybody needs and especially young and experienced folks need to say, hey, you know what, uh, you're, you haven't done anything yet and you're not as special as people may be saying that you are. And if you are, then you're going to have to be able to access what got you here in the first place. And so maybe it was a reminder and a wake up call. I hope it was. But, you know, either way, I think that this team is, you know, is going to go to this World Cup and, you know, rightfully I, and, and fairly, I think we are going to have high hopes because of the amount of talent we have, where that talent is playing and things that we have seen already in the past. And doggone it, there's nothing wrong with high expectations. There's no. nothing wrong with hope, but we want high expectations. Why would we go out there and, and, and not want to do really well? And, and I think if this club does get it together and perform well, the expectations in 26 will be even greater. Yeah. Because yeah. these kids, this youngest team ever, will now be prime in 26. Right. And I, you know, I don't want to, you know, grumpy old man this or anything like that, but they have been given so much. And I actually am incredibly proud. It makes me proud that they didn't have to deal with the crap that my generation and previous yeah. generations yeah. did. And we all stand on shoulders, and I certainly did, and they will. And that's that's a good thing. But with that comes higher expectations. I mean, the amount of resources they have and the coaching and this, you know, the, the facilities that they have and the, you know, the medical thing, all, all that kind of stuff. And the pathways to, you know, some really great clubs in big leagues and stuff. I mean, the only reason I ever played in Europe was because I started in the World Cup, right? You shouldn't have to do that in order to get those opportunities. Right. Yeah. And so now when I see some of these younger players you know, going over and playing in the great leagues and some of the great teams over there. And it's a lot now. Um, that's that that warms the cockles of my redheaded heart. And yeah. while it, at 52, I hopefully still have a long way to go. But I also remain immensely proud that there's a generation now growing up that that doesn't even know. And I don't I don't care. They don't have to say thank you. They don't even have to recognize it. But my expectations are going to be raised given on, you know, to those that you give uh, so much, there are much higher expectations, as we know. And bless your heart, you still have redheaded. Uh, you're still <laughs> redheaded. Trying. So there trying. you go. I'm holding it on for dear Congratulations. <laughs> Lexi Lalas, for seven years now, has been uh, on the broadcast team of Fox Sports. Before that, he was at ESPN. And before that, he was a player and an executive in Major League Soccer. He's with us. And we're chatting about now the World Cup that is coming up. And uh, the World Cup in November uh, in Qatar. Um, it, the World Cup always interrupted the American game. The Major League Soccer got interrupted by the World Cup because we play a, a February or March to October or November season. Now it's interrupted all of the rest of the world's game, it seems. Uh, how in the world is it going to work with everybody shutting down their business and uh, and and getting together quickly? to play a World Cup in uh, in really warm, hot, simmering conditions. 
So, I mean, for, for those that don't know, this is the first time the World Cup uh, is going to that area of the world in Qatar. Qatar is a country the size of Connecticut, but, you know, 80% of the 3 million people are actually in Doha. The entire World Cup is going to be within the city of Doha. So there's no, like most World Cups, you know, you have satellites and you, you are traveling to games, you're flying to games, whether it's the broadcast crew or whether it's the actual uh, players. None of that. Everybody is there. You're just going to, and they have eight stadiums within a 45 minute uh, radius. So it really is going to be this, this strange brigadoonish type of experience for soccer. Now for soccer people, it's going to be incredible because you can see multiple games a day and everybody's on top of you. And we're going to you know, find out if familiarity breeds contempt or not, because everybody's going to be on, on top of each other, but it's going to be for a soccer person, the best thing that you've, that you've ever, uh, ever experienced. Having said all that, uh, you know, this is a very different country. This is a very different type of culture. You mentioned the heat. It was moved from the summer to November and December. I have been there already a couple of times. They actually have, you're not allowed to call it air conditioned. It's climate controlled stadiums that are absolutely incredible. Um, you know, they, <laughs> you walk, I, you know, I, I was in the desert. I went in the summer and I was in the desert and I'm sweating my, you know what off uh, and I walked 10 yards into the stadium and it was as if I was in a completely different country so whatever they're doing it works you will be comfortable and the players will have pristine conditions and it's obviously not as hot in November and December it's still a desert and it's and it's still hot and then you know we, we started off our conversation talking about you know current events and events off the field well our responsibility obviously is to bring this incredible celebration and all of the stories on and off the field and there will be plenty of stories when it comes to Qatar and how they got the World Cup and, uh, you know, labor issues and all of these different things. And, you know, we certainly at Fox, we have a news division. Uh, we will not, again, not bury our head in the sand, uh, but we are there. And our major responsibility and focus is to give people that escape and to talk about the sport uh, that is going on. And believe me, you will have plenty of stories uh, and plenty of, you know, debate and fairly so about what this World Cup is off the field uh, and ultimately what the legacy is of this World Cup. But, you know, when it comes to Qatar, they have a vested interest in this going well, both on and off the field. This is, they are using this as an advertisement to the world that they have progressed, that they have evolved, and they are, let's be honest, open for business going forward. Have they pressured you, anybody in FIFA or Qatar, or is there, or is there any kind of internal pressure to make sure that you balance the off the field and the lead up to it, and uh, with the actual uh, soccer itself? No, I mean, whether it's Qatar or not, we at at Fox really we take our responsibility, you know, very seriously in that we are there to talk about the game and to talk about the sport. Mm -hmm. And not in a way that's gonna make us look tone deaf uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but you know as well as I do, you know, in this world of mixing so much together, sports still, maybe one of the few things, music to a certain extent, but sports even more so, is that escape. And there are a lot of people that, and you may be one of them, I may be one of them, we're bombarded with so much information and there's so much intertwining of everything that we've found that a lot of people are looking for. I mean, sometimes it's two hours just of this is the game. And I just want to think about the game and I want to scream and yell about the game. And, you know, Alexi doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. That guy shouldn't be playing and we should do this. And I can't believe that taking stuff like that and not have it, you know, be about, a bigger story or be about bigger, uh, big, bigger things. And so we will definitely, you know, be leaning into doing that as much as we possibly can. But as I said before, if you want it, there will be plenty of stories out there that will satisfy that need of all of the narratives and all of the stories that people are talking about and that we should be talking about. Now, having said that, uh, you and your style and your personality and your history and your mm -hmm intelligence and you're about telling people exactly what you think and you're not afraid to do that and you're not afraid to get in somebody's face uh if you have to um and so how does that play into this big picture and how does that play with your mates on the set i mean i'm i'm so 
as I said, really privileged and lucky to have fallen into this because I, I meet so many um, so many players that either coming to the end of the career or have just finished their career. And, you know, in my business, as you know, there's so many people that kind of just come through it and use it as a way station. I realized very early on that I loved it and that I wanted to get better at it and I wanted to continue to do it. And I wanted, I didn't want, I didn't, if it's not a priority and if you're not a junkie for it, that will manifest in your performance. And I never wanted that to happen because I felt like I was cheating myself, the game, and ultimately the viewer. And so giving an authentic take with the recognition that I'm in the entertainment business and that no matter what, this is still a performance, um, that, that is the goal. Now, sometimes I achieve it, sometimes I don't, but I'm always striving for it. And I want you, when you watch, I don't care if you agree with me, that really is irrelevant to me, but I don't want you to change the channel. I want you to at least hopefully think about the things that I'm saying. And then you may disagree for, for whatever reason. Hopefully I'm doing it in a way that, that grabs your attention. To your point, I, you know, the ability to put together words is very, very important, but also in this, in this job, and your students will know this, the ability to edit yourself uh, either beforehand or in real time, because you have such a short period of time that you have to be able to get out what you want to say very, very quickly. And so picking and choosing what words you want to use and distilling it down to its essence. I mean, as you know, that that's the art, that is the talent and I'm still working on it. Every, sometimes I get it right, sometimes I don't, but that's the sweet spot to be able to do that. This is Watch the Media with Fox Sports analyst Lexi Lawless. I'm John Schrader. Did you uh, love it right away? Uh, did you was it love at first sight with, with television and uh, or did it take you a little while to figure it out? Well, it was love at first sight, but it still took me a while to figure it out. And, you know, I mean, you having worked with me and, and, and so many others, you, you you take time to figure out what your on air persona is going to be. And sometimes you got to try on some different costumes. And I say costume on purpose because I, I've always considered myself a performer. OK, whether well, even as a player, you know, the, the field is a stage, right? The 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 fans are your audience. Your your uniform is your costume. Your your training is your rehearsal. Right. And then you go on and sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But to have that interaction is important. And I knew very, very quickly that the energy and the jolt that I got when that red light turns on is you'll never replace playing. OK. But it's not only it not only gets me as excited, but in certain ways, it's even more challenging and therefore more rewarding than anything that I've done on the soccer field. And I love it. And they can pry it from my cold, dead, red-headed hands. And they <laughs> will. The, the young, the young ones are coming. But you know, I, I like to think I have a few more years. So uh, I know the answer to this question, but I want the the listeners, uh, the viewers, to understand this. Uh, this is hard work. Uh, mm -hmm. Doing television is hard work. You don't just show up and and the light goes on and say, "Oh, it's time to be on television." Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 one can tell how much work one puts into it. And it's a full time job. It's not just a uh, an avocation, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, so I, I look at it as you know the the iceberg, right? So what you ultimately see when I'm on air is just the tip of the iceberg, and there's so much other stuff that goes on the cutting room floor. But that the quality of that tip of the iceberg is informed by everything underneath and all of that base that nobody ever sees. And, you know, I mean, look, I, I learned it from you and, and others very, very quickly that you can't wing it. OK, and, and maybe you can a couple of times, but eventually you will get found out. And the best in the business, uh, they have a routine. Yeah, you, you tweak it as you go on and you learn and you grow and everything. But ultimately, it comes down you know, to doing the work. And I guess that applies to anything in life. I mean, I'm, I'm coming to you from my office here and you, you can't really see it. But, you know, I have books and papers all over the place. And, and in front of me, I have player faces and everything. So I'm already, you know, memorizing 
groups and teams and histories and coaches and players and things that I'm going to say. And the reality is for a World Cup, for example, when I'm doing a World Cup, the first week or the first round of games is usually the most hectic and most difficult because while you have context into where these teams have done, you don't have a context within the World Cup. Once the World Cup actually starts playing and these teams start playing, then you have some more that's actually there to talk about. But that first week, you better you better be prepared. And I, I have been in moments where people have thought, eh, I kicked the ball. I know what the game is. I'll figure it out as I go along. And it, it becomes very, very quickly apparent both internally to people you're working with, but also I think it translates onto the screen if you're not prepared. And so if you're not prepared to do the work, then don't waste my time and don't waste the viewer's time. Yeah. Lexi Lawless is uh, the Fox uh, Sports broadcast team for the World Cup. Uh, give me the dates again, something in the middle of November to the <laughs> yeah. middle of December, right before yeah, Christmas? Yeah, so we're less than, by the time people are listening to this, you would be around 40 days before the World Cup. I'm going to head over there early in November. Uh, you know, one of the other unique parts about uh, the World Cup having in November, December is the opportunity to, to cross-promote. Usually we kind of own the summer as the World Cup, but, you know, for example, at Fox, you know, we are, you know, our Goliath is uh, is NFL. Well, so the World Cup is coming right in the middle of both NFL and college football. And so that could be challenging. But I also think that the way that Fox is looking at it is a real opportunity because we are going to cross. I'll be over there early on uh, in November with the NFL folks uh, doing some cross promotion there because they always go over to Doha. And so we'll be introducing our set and the set always becomes kind of a star of its own. And we're going to we're going to blow it out when it comes to our set with Fox. So that's going to be really, really cool. And, you know, there are moments and, and days where you'll be able to get up and watch World Cup. Uh, earlier in the morning or or earlier in the afternoon, depending on where you are in the U.S., and then you can go into you know college football or NFL. Uh, that that Black Friday game against uh, against England has the potential to be you know the highest rated soccer match ever shown in the United States. That's the U.S. versus England game on that Friday after Thanksgiving, where obviously everybody's at home, and the viewing patterns are going to be really interesting because. Usually in the summer, everybody's kind of home or, or around, and certainly student-wise, they're not in school. Now it'll be interesting to see, even though it's you know through Thanksgiving week, but when when kids are in school, are they are they sneaking their their iPads and <laughs> or are the teachers letting them watch this stuff? And I, I'm just I'm just fascinated to see ultimately how this plays out from a from a fan perspective because of the change in time happening in November and December. Even out here in the plains, Lexi, I'll have people sneaking in a view <laughs> of the soccer matches while I'm uh, teaching classes. Uh, so you have, a, I see about five play-by-play -play teams, mm -hmm. and I'm proud to see that not only do you have a, a young lady as a color announcer, but you also have a woman who's going to do play-by-play -play, uh, of some of the games as well. Some familiar names, Strong and Holden and Derek Ray with Allie Wagner, J.P. Della Camera. Kobe Jones, Ian Dark working with Landon Donovan, and Jackie Oatley working with Warren Barton. That's the play-by-play -play teams. Some of those will be here in the U.S., or will they all be based in Qatar? Oh no, we're bringing people over, and we're bringing everybody a whole huh? crew over. Yeah, right. it's it's going to be real cool. And uh, you know, you mentioned some of the names there. Clint Dempsey's joining us, and even some you know some names that you wouldn't necessarily associate with soccer. Chad Ochocinco, uh, so he's going to be yeah. be there. So you know, some really different and diverse types of voices out there. I've worked with most of these folks and a lot of them are kind of legends in the in the business. Um, but you know, it, it goes back to what I talked about. You know, we have a responsibility and one that we welcome to provide not just a view into the US men's national team as, as excited we are as to, ha to have the US men's national team there. There are all of these other 31 teams and we will be you know, we will be telling their stories too. And we'll be telling stories of Qatar that either are, you know, written beforehand or happen during a tournament. Because as you know, you know, a tournament is this, this, you know, this marathon and, and not the sprint, you know, our fearless leader, David Neal, another legend in the business who once again, will be leading us always talks about that. And there is a, at times a slow burn and a meandering type of way that these tournaments take on a, a face of their own. And we have to be able to bob and weave and tell that story as it as it goes along. And it is 
it is work. We talked about the research. It is work. And one of the favorite things now that I've done it a long time is to see people that haven't worked World Cups before to get into the cycle and to see the realization come across that, hey, man, we're, we're in for the long haul. And we're talking, you know, six weeks of Groundhog Day. It's the best Groundhog Day ever because it's a World Cup, but it, it is work. You're one of, it looks like about eight, maybe eight studio uh, ho- uh, studio analysts. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you divvy that up? You've got day after day after day. It's Groundhog's Day. How does that work? Because you can't all work every show all day long. So how does that work? Yeah, I mean, so it, sometimes it's dependent on times. Uh, sometimes it's dependent on who's playing. And sometimes, you know, it, it's, it, it, I don't know if people realize this, but you know, this is the best laid plans, right? <laughs> but as you get into a World Cup, you know, you have to be able to uh, be flexible and move on. And there's almost, it's not almost, there is almost a, there is a competition within the competition. And, you know, everybody's trying to bring out the best stuff and be picked and be there, you know, when the finals are happening and when the big games are happening. And there, there is almost an audition at, type of process that goes on through a world cup and you know people will go ahead and behind and all that, all that kind of stuff you know i just plan on working every single day and i love it it's what i do as i said before i'm a junkie for it there's nothing i would rather uh, rather be doing and you know i get into the groove and it's just awesome and as you know as technology is advanced and the platform for broadcasting has become so much, you know, the digital part of what we do is huge. And so the days are filled. So if you're not on air on our main set, watching it on, on Fox or FS1 or something like that, there's all other platforms that are happening too, that you are either talking or you're on other stages that we have. So, I mean, a broadcast platform now can be anything. I mean, this is a broadcast platform right now. So every game will be seen somewhere in the Fox family available to us, correct? Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll all be there and they will all be streamed and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we know that in the instantaneous information age, the ability to not just watch the games, but obviously highlights coming through. And so all of that kind of stuff will be uh, will be done. We'll continue to do podcasts uh, every single day. Our digital, uh, we will have an actual digital show that will kind of run as a as a parallel to what we're doing on, you know, linear television, if you will, a digital portion going on. All of that kind of stuff goes on because people consume in different ways right now. We have to be able to have as many different tentacles out there to access them in, in different ways as we possibly can. So, Lexi, how much do you get to get out and watch the actual games? I have not been to a World Cup game, uh, a men's World Cup game, in since I probably, um, since probably, <laughs> well, since I played in, so back into '98, and before that, obviously '94, uh, and then before that, 1990. So I have not been to one, which is you just I don't have time, and and I'm working for it. I went to a women's game uh, in one of the women's World World Cups, but I have very little time off, and I'm okay with that. I this I am a studio rat. I I know that that is what I was made for and it's what I love and it's what I'm good at and it's what I want to do. And I love the, you know, the debate and the discussion and the theater of it, especially as a world cup continues to go on. And so I would, I know this is kind of sacrilege to say, but I I would rather be in the studio than on, you know, in the field. And I know there's a very different type of energy, but I like, I like the studio uh, feel and I know I'm I, I different for for a lot of other people and I'm not saying that you know it isn't fun being in the uh, in the stadium ultimately and it doesn't bring a different type of energy and aesthetically it, it's it a lot of times looks better because you're right there in what we're talking about but I love I love the studio so this will be the same case for like like Rob Stone who will spend uh, so much time in the studio you guys are just you're married to the studio and you just, even though the, even though there's eight stadiums within 45 minutes or miles or kilometers or whatever it is, you still, you're there and you're there and you've got to be ready to be. Yeah. Every it's, it's our home. It's, it's our home and we make it our home and it's look, it's a, an incredible home. And, and this, this set that you're, that you're going to see in Doha is just pretty, 
it's a whole nother level in terms of uh, of what they are doing. But yeah, uh, you know, all the studio folks. And look, I think because to your point of the proximity and the closeness of this World Cup, it affords us to do some some things. Um, you know, I don't know, for example, but I would imagine at some point, maybe we even try to have, you know, somebody call two games in a day or something like that and get to the stadium, make make something out of it. I don't know ultimately what we're going to do, but conceivably we can do that. The other thing we can do is have a lot of these personalities that are calling games actually be part of our studio coverage at different times because in other World Cups, you know, they're they're satellite satellited out at another city, you know, and they have to fly back and do all that. And so, for example, I rarely in World Cups have seen someone like Stu Holden or John Strong. Um, and this World Cup would be great because we'll all be staying together and they'll actually be in the city. And from a practical perspective, we can actually use them uh, in the studio that we have, because you know, just because they do games doesn't mean they're not wonderful in terms of, you know, the uh, the content they can they can produce and the the debate and the discussion and the, you know, the takes that they have. Lexi Lala is part of the Fox Sports broadcast team for the World Cup coming up, and on all of the platforms. Well, you talked about the NFL and cross promoting the NFL, but the NBA season will be well underway. The NHL season well underway. The uh, college football season will be well underway, although sort of winding down around Thanksgiving and into the bowl season. Um, really, nowhere else in the world do, are there so many conflicts or so many distractions to the soccer audience than the U.S. soccer broadcasters have to present. Um, how will that impact your audience? Yes, NFL will help you promote what you're doing, but you also have a whole lot of other stuff that people can see and watch. Yeah. And so that's where the, you know, the time change maybe works to our advantage. And it's not that they're having to pick either, or it's really of, I guess, how much sports can you fit into a day? And do you want to watch in a day? From our perspective, we would love nothing more than, you know, you get up and you watch a full uh, morning and afternoon, depending on where you are of world cup soccer. And then you, you know, just go right into, like you said, it could be NFL or it could be college football or it could be college basketball for that, for that matter, or anything else, all of which you can see on Fox and other, uh, and other places uh, too. But uh, and I don't know how much crossover there is going to be. The interesting thing for me is, you know, with, with the time change, you know, we talked earlier about people getting up to watch the EPL and, you know, how are people going to get up? And, you know, the, the games work very, very well, for especially the bigger the bigger games and they've scheduled them correctly. But, you know, are we going to see people you know, setting their alarm early and getting up and having, you know, in the in the West Coast here, it's, you know, it's breakfast in Doha with, you know, I'm sorry you have to stare at me during breakfast, but that's the way it goes. I'll have plenty of makeup and lighting, so I'm going to have as much help as I possibly can get. <laughs> but and, and, you know, to your point, one of the one of the coolest things for for that I have in the, in, you know, as, as a world cup progresses is where people have been watching at home and we've kind of become part of their lives because it's a day in and day out thing. And then maybe they'll travel to the world cup. And there's this incredible moment where we start to see people coming to the world cup that have already watched us. And as, as I said, the, the set becomes a star of its own and they kind of make this pilgrimage <laughs> to, to the set and they just sit there staring out and they, they come to grips with the fact that, you know, just a couple of days ago, they were sitting on their couch and they were watching that. And now they're standing in front of the set in, and watching it. And it's just an amazing thing. And it's happened at every single World Cup that I uh, that I have done. So I hope that pilgrimage happens uh, again because it's a really, really cool set. And, you know, we we take pictures with everybody and we have a big old uh, big old time there. It's really kind of cool. You know, in a, a few minutes we have left here, um, I, I watch this stuff and, and I know that that Comcast and uh, Paramount Plus, which is CBS, Viacom has gotten big into soccer here in the last couple of years, uh, Disney, Fox. Everybody has a little different style in the way you present it. What is yep. what is the Fox style, the, the Fox Sports style of presenting soccer, if you could sum that up for us? Um, we don't apologize for being American in the way that we broadcast it. Um, it doesn't mean that we dumb it down. Um, and it doesn't mean that we don't respect the fact that this is a sport that is played around the world. And that's part of why we love it is that global. I mean, when I was 10 years old and going out on my front sidewalk, what was cool for me was that I was juggling a ball on the other side of the world. There was a kid doing the exact same thing. And I couldn't say that about a lot of other sports. So from a Fox perspective, it's, 
we are proud disruptors in the way that we that we talk about and do things, uh, but we also never apologize for the fact that we are doing it as American broadcasters and and the American sensibilities that we have that oftentimes are rooted in other sports uh, and other leagues and a history of broadcasting sports that we can you know pick and choose from with also a respect that we can also take the best from around the world that is done and make sure that there is credibility to what we are doing. But we're not trying to be something that we're not, and we're not trying to be a American version of something that exists elsewhere. And I think that that to me makes me incredibly excited and, and ultimately very, very proud to be able to do that. Because, you know, as you know, uh, while this is an international game, you know, we are a soccer nation uh, and we have, you know, uh, it's a different history, but it's still an incredible history when it comes to how we have gotten to this point. And we should never apologize for it. As a matter of fact, we should lean into it and celebrate it. And I think that that can be reflected in so many different ways, including how we broadcast the game. Well, and the most obvious is that you, um, most of your announcers historically are mm -hmm. American. They they aren't British or aren't from the UK. Uh, now, Derek Ray is, I guess he's American and Scottish and sure, English sure. and w whatever else, right? And Jackie Oatley is a is a British uh, announcer. But generally, it's been here we are. We're American. Even some of your announcers say one to nothing and don't say one sure. nil, right? Sure. I mean, and so uh, so it represents the 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 fact that you want to be different. Did it just happen that way, or is that the culture that has been set from David Neal on down? Yeah, I think it's I think it's the culture of. Uh, from David and and from others there that, you know, we also, and I think that this is very smart in the way that Fox has approached this. We never want to be um, exclusionary. All right. We want to be as welcoming as possible. And look, I, I, I had a wonderful conversation once with some folks at, at Fox that made it very, very clear to me that if if I or any of us ever did something that could be seen as, you know, gatekeeping or snobby or elitist, that's a problem because we cannot afford as a sport and certainly as a business that is that is dealing with this sport of putting up any type of barrier to entry with the way that we talk about it and from the words that we use to just, you know, the you know, the, the aesthetic that we have. And so I think we have really tried hard to, when people tune in, again, not dumbing it down, but making sure that it is welcoming and that we are acceptive and that we are inclusive of everybody into this soccer tent. And this soccer tent is just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And God forbid we ever do things that are going to make somebody feel inadequate um, or make them turn around or make them feel dumb or inferior. That's that's not what we need from a soccer perspective. And so I always keep that in my mind. And I think from a, uh, from, a from a Fox perspective, we always keep in mind that, especially in a World Cup, maybe more so than any place in a World Cup, there's going to be so many people that they might be tuning in for the first time to watch a soccer game. What's this soccer thing about? Yeah. And you only get one chance to make that impression. And we want to make sure that it is as warm and welcoming as possible. And I, I apologize to all the Ian Dark fans in the world. Uh, he's also working oh, with yeah. you guys and uh, yep. Landon Donovan. Yep. Uh, Landon is, is working with Ian on that broadcast team. And uh, well, I'm very much looking forward to uh, the, the World Cup. I don't care if it's played in November or March <laughs> or uh, July, uh, I'll find a way to watch it, and I'll be watching it on Fox. And Alexi Lalas will be apparently on the studio show every time, every hour, all day long. Won't leave the studio, has his own shower and uh, and cot in the building. Right? <laughs> well, Professor, as always, it's it's a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, your students should know that. Uh, if at any point I do something right, okay, it's because of your professor. 
if at any point I do something wrong, it's something that I picked up along the way after uh, we stopped working together. But in all honesty, I, I had a wonderful time. And like I said, it was my introduction into something that has become my livelihood and um, has become, you know, one of the great sources of pride, like I said, and joy in my life. I'm really, really fortunate that I uh, that I fell into this because there's a lot of ex-players that, uh, that don't have that opportunity or they just don't find it as awesome as I do. Yeah, well, you're too kind, and uh, thanks. And uh, as always, it's great to chat with you. I appreciate it very much. Lexi Lalas is on the Fox Sports broadcast team, one of the studio analysts for the World Cup. Well, you can actually see him doing other soccer stuff as well. He doesn't just do the World Cup. Uh, in fact, he'll be working uh, a number of events uh, before then. And uh, thanks a million for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much for being with us this week. I'm John Schrader. This is Watch the Media.